Amen. That's good. Well, some might be thinking, why in the world did they gather around like that? We couldn't see anybody. Uh, they're trying to all get their voices in the microphone. That's all. And that's a good reason to sit right in the middle. Yeah? All right? We're trying to fill the middle up, aren't we, brother? We're trying. All right? But these Baptists like to sit on the far ends and in the back. Amen? That's what Baptists do, isn't it? Yeah, look at them. Are you all over? Look at that. Right over there. All alone there. See that? Anti-social Baptist. All the way in the corner. Look at that. Even a staff member. Wow. What are we going to do with these guys? <laughs> all right. Well, that sounds good. That was a great song. And uh, I, that's one of my favorite songs uh, that we do during this time of year. I really enjoy that. Um, but uh, that was good. I didn't expect them to sing that. didn't know you were singing that, ladies. That's good. All right. Let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn to Psalm chapter 105. Again, um, boy, just uh, looking forward to tomorrow. And again, I know that, uh, you know, it, it's easy to lose sight of the holiday, what it's really about, you know, uh, because let's face it, a lot of times it, we're just glad we got a day off. And, you know, it's just like, I don't care what the holiday is. Well, we get a day off. That's what really matters. But, boy, I tell you what, we, we, we do. We live in a great country, and the price that was paid was uh, extremely high. And, uh, so, you know, as we enter this 4th of July, as we move into it tonight, as the fireworks are all going off, we think about those, the battles, we think about the cost and the price that was paid, and we just uh, need to thank the Lord for being born into this nation where we can worship freely without fear of persecution, and, and not every country is that way. And so we're grateful for the liberties that we do have here in this nation that we live in. 105, Psalm 105, and um, we're going to take just a moment. I don't know that I'm even going to read. I'm not going to read all of it because it, it's, it's rather long and it's not necessary. We'll kind of um, summarize some of it along the way, but we'll just read till I grow weary of reading. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people, sing unto Him, sing psalms unto Him, talk ye of all His wondrous works. Glorify ye in His holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength, seek His face forevermore. Remember His marvelous works that He hath done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. O oh, ye seed of Abraham, His servant, O oh, children of Jacob, His chosen." We're going to stop right there. And then what we're going to see here in just a few moments is that he's now going to remind us of some things. Now I want you to drop down now to verse 40. Um, 40. Let's just go to verse 40 there. It says, The people asked, and he brought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and the waters gushed out. They ran in the dry places like a river, for he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. And he brought forth his people with joy, and his chosen with gladness, and gave them the lands of the heathen, and they inherited the labor of the people, that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. <clears throat> this is one of the historical psalms. There are three that we are familiar with in the, this hymn book, the psalms. 
We have Psalm 78. We have this one that we're noting now, and 106. Books, of course, were very rare in that day. You ever got your hand on a book, it would be extremely rare. It would be very expensive. It certainly would be beyond the reach of any ordinary or normal person. Therefore, if history were to be remembered, if it was going to be passed down, then it would be remembered by rote. It would be remembered in the memories of people themselves. So what better way to preserve than to turn it into verse and then ultimately set a tune to it? I mean, think about how much theology that you and I grasp from the hymn book that we sing on a regular basis. Think about how much theology even and how much practical biblical understanding we arrive at and and achieve just through the courses that we've learned as children and and maybe the courses that we sing even in the evenings. When the prisoner, excuse me, the pioneer missionary Robert Moffat went to Africa, one of his first concerns was that he would put the, the, the language of the people into writing. He had to be able to uh, actually write their language. And that was a tremendous concern of his. What that required would be that he would have to teach every native the alphabet. Well, his students were simply men that were trained in the wild. I mean, they were simply schooled in different tasks that dealt with the jungles. I mean, they were wise in the bush, so to speak, or, but, but they weren't intelligent and educated in things like the ABCs or that kind of thing. They were, they were educated, but in their own personal pursuits and what mattered to them and what they needed to know. But the alphabet, again, was beyond them. They had no clue. Nor did they really have any desire. Why should A be A? I mean, you tell us that A should be A. The question would arise, why? And then, why should B follow A? Good question, right? So he was baffled. I mean, Robert Moffat did not know what to do. He was just beyond himself and beside himself. And he he was about to give up when all of a sudden one of the people... Uh, one of his students actually suggested that he, he teach them to sing it, sing the ABCs. At first, the idea seemed ridiculous to him. It seemed ludicrous. But, I mean, because think about it. I mean, there's some things you just don't sing, right? I mean, we, we have, you know, the Constitution. You don't go around singing the Constitution. I mean, you don't open up your checkbook and start singing your checkbook. It just doesn't make sense. So there's some things you just don't sing. And Moffat thought, surely this can't be one of them. But being at the end of the rope, so to speak, he decided to give it a try. So what tune would he use? I know what you're thinking, and I thought the same thing at first. But he was a Scot. And the tune that came to his mind was a very familiar boyhood tune that he'd heard over and over again, All Lang Syne. And it worked. He taught them the alphabet by song and through song. So before it was over with, the whole village was singing out and the ABCs. You could hear them lifting up their voice, singing the ABCs to the tune of All Lang Syne. The Hebrews, the children of God, had 
been doing that for a number of years prior to that. They've been putting the Word of God and important messages in song. Matter of fact, they even put their history down and then put a tune to it and would pass it down through song. So what are we to learn from the passage? Well, I want to take just a moment and break it down just a little bit tonight and see what we can learn. And I think it's something that we'll all understand is ultimately we'll get to the place where we note three essentials in the Christian life. Three essentials in the Christian life. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Help us, Lord, and we need you tonight. And Lord, we thank you for these that are gathered here. Father, we know and understand. We realize that a number of people are traveling this weekend and we pray for their safety and ask that you watch over them and give them a wonderful time with family and friends. Lord, for us tonight that are here, though, Father, as a pastor, I'm grateful to see them faithful that are in town. And Lord, just for folks that have a desire and a, a yearning to learn more about you and your word, to be here on a Sunday evening as we look forward to holiday tomorrow now father bless us and may we say with the psalmist it was good when they said unto me let us go into the house of the lord spirit of god work in our lives and allow me to be your mouthpiece fill me with your spirit be glorified in christ's name amen so what are we to learn from the passage well again let's break it down just a little bit first of all in verses one through three we note that the psalmist rejoices as he reflects. He rejoices as he reflects. And we see here in the passage it says, Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Here we have a man that's writing down some histories. Ultimately, God's going to use him to, to remind the Israelites again of what he has done, what God has done. And he rejoices as he reflects. He rejoices. He remembers what God has done and he rejoices as he reflects. But also in verse 4, he reminds as he, excuse me, he reasons as he remembers. He reasons as he remembers. Verse 4, seek ye the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore, he says. See, he's rejoicing as he reflects, as he considers the past as he looks at what God has done. But now we notice that as he, he's doing that, he's reasoning as he remembers what God has done. He's, make, he's reasoning in his mind. He's saying, listen, it only makes sense to seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. That makes sense. And then finally, and the message is not over, he reminds as he reviews. He reminds as he reviews. Verse 5, the Bible says, Remember His marvelous works that He hath done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. So as He reminds, He's going to remind now as He reviews the history of this nation, what God has done and how He has worked. He begins this review, this reminding, with the great Abrahamic covenant. That's where it all begins. That's where He starts. He talks about that promise that God had made to Abraham to, to ultimately provide him with a seed that would just be as the stars of the heavens and then to occupy ultimately the promised land. 
He expresses the unique and the very special relationship that God had with Israel. He, he talks about this relationship as though, and, and makes it clear to Israel that it was God's idea to have this relationship. It wasn't Israel's idea. It was God's to have this special relationship. He reminds them that God made this covenant and that God kept this covenant. And even while they were small in number, even while they were extremely insignificant in light of the world itself, He kept them safe and He continued to meet their needs in order that others would not come along and wipe them out. Whether it was Abraham in Egypt, whether it was Isaac before Abimelech, whether it was Jacob facing Esau as he returned from Laban's house. These were all vulnerable and they could have all been annihilated and wiped out at this point, but God kept them under His umbrella of protection, kept them safe along the way. And the psalmist is reminding Israel of God's providence and His hand in their nation and in the lives of their forefathers. He goes on to talk about the fact that Joseph would ultimately be sold into slavery. And yet he would ascend to greatness. And in that greatness, he would be placed in a position that would permit him and enable him to supply his family and all of their needs as the famine would have ravished them. And yet he would be able to supply them now and then also their children and their children's children for many generations. There in Egypt, they would grow as a nation where they entered as a mere 70 souls. They would exit in the millions. They entered just a small group, a family, if you will, and they would leave a nation. Amazing as we are reminded again, as Israel's reminded, that there was a time when Egypt looked favorably upon them. But as they grew, and as they increased in power, the Egyptians said, we want nothing to do with this. And Pharaoh and them both were alarmed, and so they put them into bondage. Still God heard their cry, didn't he? And he preserved them. 400 years he preserves until he raises Moses to deliver them. And then with each and every single plague that would come down, God would reveal himself strong on their behalf. Till one day, Pharaoh said, enough is enough. I can't take it anymore. And he let the people go. So out of Egypt they went along with the spoils of the land. And that's an amazing thought. They were the ones that were in bondage. And yet as they leave, they're taking earrings and gold and silver from the people of Egypt, and they leave spoiling the land. And then what they use that gold for, we don't really want to talk about that, do we? Just one of those things was a golden calf, sadly enough. But nonetheless... Out of Egypt they went. As they traveled, God was visibly with them, was He not? A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Whether it was manna 
or meat. God met their needs. And He was gracious and He was generous in doing so. He provided water from the rock to quench their thirst. God continued to confirm His covenant with them time and time again. Through all the years and through all the ups and downs, through all the difficulties, all the trials and all the tribulation and all the good times as well. Until finally they inhabited the land of promise. A land that was flowing with milk and honey. A land that any one of us would have been happy to occupy. A land that already had homes built. Fences put up. Already had crops planted. They literally walked in to a turnkey situation. What an amazing account. And that is the history. Those are the memories that the psalmist is sharing now with the people of God. What we learn along the way here is wonderful. But what we do know without a doubt is how big a part the Lord had in their history and in the successes that they experienced. I mean, how integral He was and how important He was to their success. Everything that has happened to these people, He wanted them to understand it was part of God's plan. That God simply paved the way. He constructed the pathway. Every up, every down, every turn was planned and orchestrated by a heavenly father. And through it all, God was faithful to them. And because God was faithful to them, he now says, you must now be faithful to me. Psalm chapter 105 now, verse 44 and 45. And he gave them the lands of the heathen, and they inherited the labor of the people, that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. So he admonishes them to do some things as a result of God's faithfulness through the years. As a result of God's investment through the years. He says, one, observe His statutes. We could say something like this, that it, that would have to do with knowing His Word. Observing it, keeping your eyes on it. Fixing our eyes, our heart on the Word of God and on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, keep His laws. He tells the Israelites, he says, I have been with you through thick and thin. I have delivered you out of Egypt. I carried you through the wilderness. I placed you in this wonderful land. And I did it for a purpose and with a reason. It was that you would observe my statutes and keep my laws. It's interesting how each one of us are so quick to want something. I was listening on the radio the other day to two men that were probably in their early 60s, radio hosts, if you will. And they were just talking about how 
Things have changed through the years with children. Today they said, we have learned that this baby boomers did it all wrong with kids. And they weren't joking either, by the way. They said, research has proven that incentives make, uh, Im- impact a child more than restrictions. You say, what's that mean? Well, what he's saying is this. When we were kids, they said, Dad said, you better do that or you're going to get it. And they said, well, we just did it because we were afraid. (laughs) We're going to get it. He goes, but we found out that just doesn't work. That's what they said. Research has proven that children do not respond to that today. They respond to incentives. It's better for you to give them an incentive and say, if you will be good in the grocery store, we'll get ice cream afterwards. By the way, if you come to my Train Up a Child workshop this coming Saturday, I will tell you that you are raising a terrorist if you do that. Let me tell you something. You don't bribe your children to obey. Children need to learn to obey because it's right to obey. But what I'm saying is, is incentives, they said, that we're raising a generation to say that you don't do anything unless you get something for it. Now, there is some truth to the fact that each of us as human beings, we want to benefit. We don't want to just waste our time. So if I'm going to put forth energy, I want to know there's going to be a return. And I bring all that up for this reason. Now, I I showed you the, I guess, would be the... um, Um, abuse of it. But there is a natural, normal idea that why would I waste my time exercising if it doesn't help me? That makes sense, right? Here's the thing, though. When it comes to God, we always change the rules. See, God's supposed to be there for us through thick and thin. God's supposed to meet our every need no matter what. God's not supposed to require anything of me when He does something for me. He's supposed to love me unconditionally, so therefore, He's supposed to do it whether I obey or not. And yet, in the Word of God, as He begins to remind Israel of how God was so vital in their history and their successes and how He paved the way and He orchestrated their every move, He says that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. That's why I ultimately delivered you into that promised land. That's why I kept my covenant. That's why I did what I did because I want you to recognize that and recognize me and obey my word and obey my laws and keep my statutes. And we say, that's not right. God shouldn't expect anything. He's supposed to be bigger. He's supposed to be bigger than that. No, he's not bigger than that. I'm sorry to tell you. He expects you and I, and he expects these Israelites in those days to observe his statutes and keep his laws. Why do you think he's good to us? Because he wants us to keep our eyes fixed on him and his word. He wants us to live our lives aligned with his word. And ultimately, he wants us to praise his name. He wants our hearts to be full of gratitude even. So we learn three essentials in the Christian life then. 
as we note Israel and God's dealings with them and how God sought to remind them on a consistent basis, we notice three things, three essentials in the Christian life. One essential is this, remember. We talk about that a lot, but I don't know that we, we do it enough. Remember. You say, remember what? Well, first, acknowledge God's involvement in your life. Always acknowledge God's involvement. That's what was going on here with Israel. The psalmist was pointing to, to what God had done in their history. And he was saying, Israelites, you must remember that God was and is involved in your life. And I don't care how far you think God is from you, and it doesn't matter how hard and difficult the circumstances you're facing are. The fact is, is that God is involved in your life. And whether you want to believe it or not, He is orchestrating your life. He is planning. He is putting dots on a, a map. And He's saying, we're going to go to point A to B to C to D. He's planning it all out. Acknowledge God's involvement in your life. But then appreciate God's investment in your life. See, we learn this. We are to remember some things. Well, what, I, what does that mean? Well, acknowledge God's involvement. Remember that He's always there and He's an integral part of your life. But then also appreciate His investment in your life. Instead of being upset with God because you're going through a difficult time or because you're facing a trial or a tribulation, you ought to thank God knowing and understanding that God will never give you anything that's not going to better you in the long run. The fact is, is that we need to be very careful what our motives for the Christian life are. Here's the point. What do we do? I, I will only get upset with God if He doesn't do things the way I want it done if my goal in life is to be comfortable. Now, if my goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ, then I will not be mad at God for bringing things into my life that are not agreeable with me. But if my heart is not to be conformed to the image of Christ, and my heart is to simply enjoy this life and to be comfortable in this life, then I can promise you I will get angry with God when He brings hurt and heartache into my life. Because listen, we are wrong as preachers and we are wrong as counselors to tell people that every bad thing in your life is simply the devil. Now, the devil may be at the root of something. He may be causing some problems. But the reality is, is that God in the Christian's life orchestrates our life. And he allows hard things and difficult things into our life. Okay, sure, the devil may bring it about, even as he did in Job's life. But let me tell you what. God had stamped the approval already. All I'm saying is God permits things in our life for our own good and for the good of others. And that's not an easy message to preach. And it's not something necessarily that I look forward to at times, even in my own life. But the fact is, is that God is sovereign. And God has every right to orchestrate our life as His children. Because in the long run, He only wants what's best for us and His kingdom. It's a difficult thing, but we must appreciate God's investment. And sometimes He puts things in our life that aren't always pleasurable and easy. Think about Israel for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That was before they entered the promised land. Think about them being led from the mount to bitter water or out of Egypt to ultimately bitter water. They cross over the Red Sea, this great victory to bitter water. 
Why bitter water, Lord? Don't you know millions of us need this water, this thirst? And God says, you don't get it, do you? I want to prove to you that I'm in the midst. And so let's just go over here to this rock. And from that rock flowed water that quenched the thirst of millions. Acknowledge God's investment and appreciate God's, excuse me, acknowledge God's involvement and appreciate God's investment. Remember, that's the first essential. Number two, the second is respond. Respond. What do you mean respond? Well, biblically, once we've remembered some things, we're to respond accordingly. We're to respond by observing the word of God. By literally placing value on this book. By putting it in a place of preeminence in our life. Observing it. Spending time in it. Allowing it to have its, its effect in our life. But not only observing the word, but obeying the word then. It's one thing to know God's truth. It's another thing to perform it. To do it. And... God's word is very clear in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What's he mean by that? Deceiving your own selves. He's saying, listen, if you're simply a hearer, don't, don't convince yourself that you're so godly. Stop it. Wake up and smell the coffee. I mean, I, I, could, I could probably say it a lot more theologically, but, but practically that's what he's saying. It's an amazing thing how often we convince ourselves. Just, and I can't remember the message I preached, but we talk about that effect where people, that when we as human beings view ourselves, we always see ourselves better than we are. It's just a natural thing. You know, they do surveys. How much do you, you know, how do you love God's word? Yes. How much do you read God's word? This much, this much, this much, or this much. And what they found was that people just downright lie. In their own mind, they're, they say, oh, well, I, I read the Bible this much. <laughs> and down deep, sometimes they even know they're not. But they want to look better in people's eyes. They don't want to look bad. Now, this is a blind test. Nobody's going to ever see, these things, see this, ever, ever, ever. Even then, people struggle with being honest. You know, that's why it's so difficult to do certain surveys and things because people aren't always 100% honest. Have you ever thought to do this? Well, I could, I'm not going to tell them even if I did. You know, if somebody got a hold of that, huh. so we won't be honest. We'll just, no. Even though down deep, we did. I'm just saying that that's a natural response. But God's saying, listen, don't just be a hearer. Don't just observe the word in the sense that we view it, we see it, we understand what it means, what God demands of us, but then we stop short of obedience. Obey the word of God. That's the response we need to have after we've remembered God's involvement and God's investment in our life. Every believer ought to say to themselves, when they acknowledge God's involvement, when they have come to the place of appreciating God's investment, they must say to themselves, I am going to observe the word of God and I'm going to obey it. That's the response that God wants from us. And that's why he shared 
what he did in Psalm chapter 105 with the children of Israel so they would respond in that way. Number three and finally, we need to reproduce. Three essentials, three essentials in the Christian life. One, remember. Two, respond. And three, reproduce. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, the Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. There's an element here where God says, Okay, now you've been reminded. You are remembering my investment, my involvement. You are aware of my significance in your life. And as a result, you have responded accordingly. Now it's up to you to reproduce that in others And you do that by sharing with them, reminding them of God's involvement and investment in their life. And you allow them to see what God is doing in your life. We do our best to inspire them to be grateful and to inspire them to observe and obey the Word of God. If, there's, if you truly want to see your children grow up to love the Lord, to serve the Lord, and remain faithful to Christ, then your attitude will be most important. It will not be that you came to church three times a week. It will not be that you attended every single activity that the church had available. What will make the difference is your heart toward others. And, and your spirit in the midst of it all. You know, like when somebody does make you mad, how you respond to that, that will truly make the difference in your child's life. When they see how you respond, guess what they'll learn? How they should respond. Now that's the scary part, isn't it? Because we say more is caught than taught, but the reality is, is that more is caught than taught. I want to encourage you to reproduce this thing. I, I want you, just like God wants us to, to remember some things, what God's done in our life and how active He is in our life and how essential He is in our life. And we as believers must remember His involvement and His investment and then respond accordingly. Boy, when... Our children see a heart of gratitude for what God's doing in our life, even when the difficult times come. Some of the people say to me, some bad things happen to my kid. How should I respond? Well, you better learn how to respond because how you respond to their tragedy will also affect how they respond to it. And when bad things happen to you, you better respond to it correctly because they'll learn how to respond to bad things by how you respond. Kids will pick that up. If you have roast pastor for lunch... Kids will not respect authority. They will ultimately, no matter how much you tell them, they should go to church and read their Bible and pray. They're going to go, this is a joke. My parents are hypocrites. And you're not going to raise a child that's going to turn out loving Jesus Christ and excited about the ministry. You'll be lucky if they want to go to church when they leave the house. Because they'll have learned that what you preach and teach is not really what you live. When you undermine authority 
whether it's the police, teachers in their school system, or Sunday school teachers. You're teaching them that you really don't believe in authority yourself. When you'll take their side and complain about that particular authority before them and in front of them, you're not reproducing an attitude of gratitude. Does, is everything always perfect? No. Do we all endure heartache and suffering? Yes. Does everybody have problems? Without a doubt. Does everybody get treated perfectly all the time? No one does. But how you respond will matter. And in the end, if we're going to reproduce ourselves, we need to always remember that God's involved in this. And, and we need to remember that God's invested in our life. And that although we may not like what just happened or how we were treated, God knew it was going to happen. So we're not going to sit there and say, what in the world's going on around? This is stupid. Because we just said to God, you don't know what you're doing. And maybe we ought to say, you know what? I don't get it. If we got a real problem, maybe I ought to go talk to somebody. And number three, I certainly don't want to be mad at God because he's orchestrating my life. He's invested and involved in my life. And I ultimately want others to catch what I've got, and I want it to be the right thing they get. That's an amen, isn't it? I hope. Amen. Isn't this where we live? Because the temptation in our own lives is to forget what God has done. There's not one of you in this room that arrived here by chance. God's hand of providence is involved. And in most cases, He has brought you through trial and tribulation. He has directed and guided you through the years even. And ultimately, you found your way here to this place. And now you attend this church or possibly are members of this church or you're visiting this church. And let me tell you something. God has been involved in that process. It is not by coincidence or chance. And so if somebody walks up to you and looks at you with cross eyes, you don't just sit there and say, well, obviously I'm not wanted here. Wait, God put you here. You mean to tell me you're going to let somebody else wreck and ruin that? That's good. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. How are you going to pass this idea down to your children? What are they going to learn from that? All I'm saying is in the long run, the psalmist is trying to get Israel to recognize what God has done and how influential and how impactful he's been and how integral he's been in their lives and then say now because God kept his promise because God brought you through because God landed you where he promised he would in the end and because he continues to be involved in your life today and investing in your life and nation today then be a people that observes his word and that keeps his commands and pass it down to your kids and pass it down to their kids and to their kids and to their children. God's good to us. Amen. And I'll be honest with you, there are times in my life when I kind of forget that for a moment. I do. There's times in my life I start thinking everything and everybody's all messed up. And I've got to stop before I get carried away with that. You know, I got to stop before I talk to you. And I got to stop before I talk to him. And I got to stop before I talk to my children. 
Because if I don't, then I'll hurt somebody. Because I don't want him to think for a moment that I don't trust God with this issue. That he's not in control and that he's not big enough to help me overcome it and to deal with it. And I'm talking about, you know, the cross-eyed thing. When I think everybody and everything's out of whack. That's what I need to get with him. I got to deal with that. And I got to say, God, you know what? Sometimes I forget you're still in control. (laughs) Sometimes I forget you're still involved in my life and investing in my future. Sometimes I forget that this isn't coincidence or chance. That that you didn't just bring this person into my life. uh, That somebody, that person just didn't end up in my life, I should say. But that you brought them there. The good and the bad and the ugly. Seems to me there was a movie called that. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I think. Or is that just a church service? I'm not sure. Okay. You didn't like that one, huh, Miss Parker? Okay. All right. Well, anyway, the Lord's good. Let's go ahead and remember what he's done for us. And let's let, let's let it cause us to respond accordingly. And then let's reproduce that spirit, that attitude in the lives of our children, our loved ones, and our friends. Just say, you know, God's in control, man. He's a good God. And although difficult times are coming my way, I'm still just going to trust Him anyway. I don't know what else to do because He's everything to me. Father, we come to you.